Welcome to Because People Count, the Accountancy Europe podcast. This podcast tackles the hottest topics for the European accountancy profession. Get your need-to-know update from Brussels. We hope you have had a safe and restful summer break, and we are looking forward to kickstart the next few episodes with you all. In this episode, we tackle one of the hottest topics in the financial sector, namely anti-money laundering, or AML. We speak with Angela Foyle, chair of the Anti-Money Laundering Working Party at Accountancy Europe. This interview is split in two, with this first episode discussing the issue of AML within the EU, specifically the European Commission's AML Action Plan and why it is important for the EU to act on this. Accountancy Europe has been supporting the fight against financial crime and the prevention of money laundering for for quite some time now, and we've been especially vocal with the European Commission's AML Action Plan. And this is why uh, we've invited Angela Foyle, chair of our anti-money laundering working party, to discuss the EU strategy further. So, Angela, um, perhaps I can ask you to tell us a little bit more about your background and your knowledge and experience around anti-money laundering. Well, my name is Angela Foyle, um, and I'm a partner in BDO LLP UK. And in addition to having studied law originally, I have since done a postgraduate diploma in financial crime and was the money laundering reporting officer and head of economic crime for BDO LLP in the UK for about eight years, nine years, something like that, until very recently. So I have spent the last 10 years working on anti-money laundering aspects um, within the accountancy profession and as well as doing some representative work for the accountancy profession in the UK and also with Accountancy Europe. And so why does the EU need uh, an AML action plan? Where does this come from? There's a number of key immediate drivers, but if we look at the strategic landscape, why do they need one? Well, money laundering and particularly the criminals who launder money or who create, you know, carry out the offences that generate dirty money work globally. They do not respect national boundaries. And the more discrepancies there are between national policies and approaches to anti-money laundering, the greater the opportunity for criminals to launder cash because things will fall between the cracks. And that the, the key drivers, the immediate drivers for this are a number of banking scandals, which illustrate that precisely. There's been the various laundromats, the Latvians and other Baltic states who have, because of their proximity, particularly to Russia, um, have been more vulnerable than other jurisdictions. We've had the recent one with Danske Bank. Deutsche Bank has been in the press a number of times. So there's been a number of scandals in relation to the banks, which has caused authorities to look at this and think that a much more coordinated approach would be better. Additionally, there has been a concern that the way in which the anti-money laundering regime has been implemented has not been consistent across Europe and that that there needs to be a different approach to um, drive further consistency. And I think the other thing is that that there's a hope that by um, driving up standards, having common levels of enforcement and supervision, you create a virtuous circle whereby the 
stronger jurisdictions, those with the more resources and the greater experience can assist in pulling up those who have got fewer resources and fewer experience in dealing with it. Exactly. And also the whole system begins to reward good behavior instead of uh, accept and tolerate bad behavior. I think I think that's where the EU's role really does come in, where good actors lead to good actions moving into following legal structures. I mean, and then the a vicious cycle of negative actors moving into more unlawful activities, that, that cycle gets interrupted because there is more benefit in following the proper structures in place. Yeah. I mean, that probably comes through. And I, I mean, I think when we look at some of the aspects of the um, EU IML action plan, that kind of aspect comes through. It's what is the purpose of effective anti-money laundering supervision? Is it to target um, breaches in the regulations by banks and others? Well, although that's a very important part of supervision in that all parts of the regulated sector should be complying with the regulations that apply to them because that effectively is designed to be the gatekeeper, that alone is not necessarily enough to disrupt. And I think within the EU AML Action Plan is um, a discussion of things like public-private partnerships and other Mm. means that will strengthen and look not just to a more to the passive area of have I complied with the regulations, you know, understood my client made suspicious activity reports, but actually bring the fight to the bad actors. And I think those uh, this is a, a you know sort of an, a first step that the EU is bringing towards a coordinated approach in that respect, which is going to be absolutely essential because it's not enough just to gatekeep and comply with the regulations. There has to be action that actually brings the fight to the criminals and disrupts their activities and makes it challenging for them to have the benefit of the cash um, from their criminal enterprises. And so then from your perspective, and also I guess Accountancy Europe's more broadly, um, the EU AML Action Plan, it's a good initial step. And it's definitely something that's needed because of this um, supranational element to financial crime at this point. What, what do you see as the positive and where do you think it might not go far enough? In terms of the positive, there, the first, you know, the key thing, and this, you know, we shouldn't underestimate the challenges in this because we are dealing with 27 member states, all of whom have different regimes, different priorities and different um, resources available to them. But the first step is actually to have a regulation for anti-money laundering as one of their, their key proposal, which would mean that the legislative framework across the EU would be the same. And that the current differences in national implementation, the delays in national implementation and the gaps in national implementation do not create opportunities for criminals. And that's one of the key proposals, which is, in our view, a good step forward. The second aspect that they're looking at is a consistent supervisory model. And there are a number of ways that could be achieved. It could be either achieved by a single supervisor, which is Europe-wide, or it could be more of a hub-and-spoke where you have a central supervisor that may have the right to directly supervise or regulate systemic cross-border 
or other major businesses. And that's still, I think, something that you know, will need to be looked at in more detail, but otherwise would ensure consistency amongst national regulators. So a supervisor of supervisors may be, one, may be an alternative model. And the Accountancy Europe's preferred approach would be more that hub and spoke model because in that circumstances national differences the under and more particularly the understanding of local businesses would be retained as well as having boots on the ground to carry out the enforcement or the supervision but having a supranational EU body to ensure that the application of the rules is consistent throughout the whole EU and so that there is a single standard because that single standard where there are no weak links or there are fewer weak links will create disruption for the criminal gangs and i think the next stage and they do mention this in in the action plan and it's another aspect that we've commented on favorably is the concept of using the eu use leverage on international bodies to try and drive the agenda in the way that is thought to be the most effective and i think that's also quite key because if we look at a number of the scandals that have that have hit the press over the last few years in many cases the money is not originating within the union it's originating outside the union and then being laundered through eu institutions which creates vulnerability for our financial markets and financial institutions but it also demonstrates that simply creating fortress europe isn't enough mm. there has to be that um um external reach and the driving of ex of of international standards using our, um, the leverage in the financial action task force and other international bodies what kind of obliged entities could we see in in a eu action plan aml action plan that would be effective also targeting this more global aspect of it in relation to the nature of obliged entities or regulated entities, there is already quite an extensive list and it covers everything from the very largest financial institutions right down to um, what are called high value dealers, those who may receive cash payments of €10,000 or above who may be sole, uh, sole traders. There are some inconsistencies, so in some jurisdictions there are a wide, there's a wider range of obliged entities than in others. And there's two questions here. One, should it be a completely harmonized model? And the answer to that is not necessarily because it may well be that there is a particular type of entity or body which poses a threat in one jurisdiction, but doesn't necessarily appear in another jurisdiction. And that could be, you know, the example that's given in the AML action plan is that of a diamond trader. Well, a di diamond trading may not be something that's carried out to a great extent in what, some jurisdictions, but in other jurisdictions, you know, particularly the Netherlands, diamond traders, there, there is an established diamond trade and there is our concerns around the anti-money laundering aspects of that trade, part of which may be caught by high value dealers, but may not be entirely. So there's that thing, should we have? But the second thing is that one thing we can certainly say over the last probably five years is the pace of change within the financial sector itself. Five years ago, I don't know that any of us had really, apart from perhaps certain real techies, knew anything about cryptocurrencies. I mean, it certainly wasn't a word in my vocabulary. Some of the challenger banks that are coming through, the payment services providers, 
in the way in which they operate are quite different to the traditional banks of the past. And the way in which authorities have responded, not just in the EU but elsewhere, is almost to include each of those separately as they arise. But the challenge we have is that the means in which money or value, and I think we should think about this in terms of value rather than cash, and assets transfer, is changing and morphing with much greater regularity with the huge growth in technological change. And therefore, one of the things that we in Accountancy Europe have suggested is that rather than having a never-ending list, that actually we decide we actually describe the kind of activities, um, which may be you know, the ability to transfer assets from one person to another, um, the ability to actually switch those assets into real value or exchange them or whatever. Um, sort of, there will be a list of characteristics of the kind of businesses that we wish to regulate and that perhaps instead of going for specific naming of the businesses, we actually develop a series of principles that if you fall within those principles, you would be within the regulated sector. It may not catch all new entrants, but typically a lot of new entrants will require professional advice, be that from accountants, be it from lawyers, be it from bankers, in order to set up their business. And certainly you know, advisors such as lawyers and accountants, if they identify that they might be meeting the characteristics, would be in a position to say, you will need to take advice as to whether or not you need to reg register for anti-money laundering supervision. So what we're suggesting in those cases is perhaps a much more principles-based rather than a list which is inevitably going to be out of date almost as soon as it's issued. It sounds like a way to kind of future-proof the regulation that the EU is coming forward with. It does seem to be big, a better catch-all than a form of legislation that will need to be updated on an ongoing basis when we know that technology is just moving so fast. Yes, and I think there are precedents for this in the world of taxation where you know, many countries, instead of trying to enumerate the various tax planning, I'll use that word politely, tax planning techniques that are uh, that are not permitted, have given up on the enumeration and have instead gone for a an anti-avoidance, a general anti-avoidance principle, you know, which is basically if you are trying to do something that looks like one of these, it's almost certainly anti-avoidance and we're going to tax you as if that didn't happen. And I think it's the same sort of principle. And it's not actually saying that any of these businesses are criminal or inappropriate or in some way tainted, it is simply that criminals would be able to or may be able to exploit them. And where you have that ability that criminals may be able to exploit them to transfer value between themselves and between themselves and others and effectively clean money in that way, then that probably meets the test that applies to banks, lawyers, accountants and others who are who are equally regulated in that way. I, I might just take things back a minute because we glossed over um, said something that maybe uh, listeners might not be completely familiar with if they don't know the EU's uh, legislative system, where up until now, I, I think it's important to note that there have been a series of AML directives. And Correct. these have basically been advice for minimum common standards that each member state needed to adhere to. Um, and various member states have been dragging their feet uh, on certain aspects of it, and it hasn't 
seem to bring the right level of compliance, which is why uh, the idea of a regulation where all uh, member states must conform to the same set of standards is uh, supporting a lot of the uh, more stringent requirements that, that we're going into here. Because if we have a directive which is kind of best practice, you, this is the high watermark, this is the low watermark, as long as you, you meet this area, you're within the directive's remit. But then the regulation is, this is the letter of the law as it is uh, prescribed at EU level, you must meet this, this standard. And so I think having that um, plus the characteristics means that the EU will have a much uh, stronger basis of, with which to fight uh, financial crime. Correct. I mean, I think it's important um, to sort of say that directives are not directly applicable to EU member states. In order to be applicable, the directive has to be transposed into national legislation, in which case it will have interpretations, it will have definitions, and it may, and it will, there is greater scope for variation because, as you say, it has to meet certain standards, but some jurisdictions will go above them, others will meet their minimum, and the way in which they're interpreted is, is vastly different. And We've had experience, certainly with the fourth and the fifth directive. So the fourth directive was scheduled to come into effect, I think, on the 26th of June 2017. And as of certainly January 2020, there were still significant number. I don't think any member state had fully been fully implemented the whole of the fourth directive. I think there was action against every single one of the member states at that date. The fifth directive came into effect in January 2020, and it, it again it has not been fully implemented by all member states. A regulation is different because it is directly enforceable in each of the member states and can be enforced by an application to the European Court of Justice. So it is quite a different legislative animal. And so then as I think we've gone into the AML action plan quite a bit. We, we've seen a bit how um, it can improve upon the situation we are in right now. And we've also talked a little bit about our advice to the European Commission on how the AML action plan can go, can be even more effective. Um, but maybe there's still more to say on, on this point. I think there's one thing that we haven't really touched on, which was to deal with the public private partnership aspect of it. And we did touch on it a bit earlier, but um, the action plan talks about public-private partnerships. Now, it's not a major part of the discussion, but it does consider the role of a public-private par partnership. And if I go back to my comments earlier saying that what compliance model, although it's an essential tool in the fight against AML, will only go so far. If you really want effective anti-money laundering, all parts of the economy, be it the public sector, be it law enforcement, be it the private sector, have their part to play. And while each of them is siloed and working in their silos, it's not particularly effective because the people who have no restrictions on sharing information, as you can see if you ever go on the dark web, not that I go there regularly, but you know I've been told, um, yeah, it, they, they will freely exchange you know, sort of information for a price um, and they will freely interact, you know, and they actually set themselves up almost like businesses where one person will have this set of skills and sell it to another. Whereas often within the uh, those who are on the side of the angels, as it were, 
they tend to work in their own little areas. And the public-private partnerships, of which there have been a number of successful ones, from the Joint Money Laundering Intelligence Task Force in the UK to the Austrac model in Australia, there's one in the US through FinCEN. There are a number of these models, and there's a really good example of certain of this in the Netherlands, where five of the big banks have been working very closely together in relation to suspicious activity reporting and transaction reporting. But it's effectively using the vast amounts of data that banks and others have to identify where criminal activity may be um, being undertaken, sharing intelligence that perhaps law enforcement have to that mix, and going after, on a proactive basis, those who are laundering money or exploiting people through modern slavery, drug dealing, or any of the other crimes that underpin money laundering, the, the predicate offences. And so that can be a hugely effective way of dealing with things. But there are barriers to that. And the, some of the barriers relate to understandable concerns around data protection and data privacy. Others are just institutional barriers because it's not been done before. You've got the transnational barriers as well, because each country, you know, well, it's, this is their information. How can they share it with someone else? Mm. Do we need a treaty and all of this kind of thing? So there are you know, real logistical issues there and legal issues that need to be dealt with. But this starting this discussion in looking at how this could be achieved on an EU level could be a significant change in the way in which economic crime is is tackled throughout Europe. Now, one of the points that we as accountants would make is that typically accountants do not hold the vast amount of transactional data that a bank would have. We do have a lot of insight, however, into corporate structures, how, what, you know, business, how businesses operate and other whole business type information that could very much feed into that data to develop typologies, Twist, and we also have things like forensic skills, which may be helpful in investigations and other matters. But it is one area where I think that certainly as accountants in and, and as, as a body, Accountants Europe would be very interested in discussing further with the Commission the role that accountants could play. In the next part of this interview, we continue our discussion with Angela Foyle on the topic of AML. The next episode will explore how the accountancy profession can help fight money laundering, how Accountancy Europe has acted as a bridge between the profession and the EU with regards to AML, as well as how COVID-19 has impacted financial crime. Be sure to tune in then and see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Because People Count the Accountancy Europe podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or review and subscribe. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting apps. Get in touch. We are at AccountancyEU on Twitter, and you can contact me at andrea at accountancyeurope.eu. This podcast is presented and edited by Andrea Campbell with help from Elida Nijar. Our music is Fearless First by Kevin McLeod under a Creative Commons license. See you next time, because people count.